In this week's episode, Grace and I meet at the American Association for Justice Winter Convention in New Orleans to record the last episode of our 2020 Law Firm Marketing Toolkit for Success. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we give reviews the credit they deserve. Welcome to In Camera Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Today is a very, very special day, and for many different reasons. First, it's the final episode of our 2020 Law Firm Marketing Toolkit for Success. But also, it's a very special episode because Grace and I are sitting right next to each other at the Exhibitors Hall at the American Association for Justice Winter Convention in New Orleans. Grace. How are you? How are you enjoying the AAJ convention, New Orleans, Mardi Gras? There's so much happening. Oh my goodness. The parades are insane. The opening convention was crazy at Mardi Gras World, watching those floats and then having Bananas Foster. And it's just amazing. Plus, of course, you know, all the people that we get to hang out with, including yourself. Absolutely great. We cannot complain. I think it's been a great convention so far. For me, it's my first day AJ, and I must say I'm enjoying it a lot. It's been great being here. It's been great being with other exhibitors, other marketing agencies, and with all the attorneys, right? Yes. Excellent, Grace. So um, with that being said, then let's now talk about our final episode for this 2020 Law Firm Marketing Toolkit. What is it going to be about? So this time around, guys, we have got to talk about reviews. So not just why, I mean, not just the fact that you need reviews. I think we all kind of understand that, but the why behind it and the, the ways to handle it, right? Absolutely, great. And if I may, then I'd like to set up the scene here a little bit, right? So Bright Local, a platform that some of you may or may not know, citations, and they also help with review generation. They actually did a consumer review survey for 2019. And let me share with you some statistics that honestly, Grace, I think they're going to blow your mind. Okay. So here's the first one. The average consumer reads 10 reviews before feeling able to trust the business. 10? 10 reviews. Okay. Wait for it. Only 53% of people would consider using a business with less than four stars. Mm. And I believe that's been mentioned before by you on one of our uh, early episodes. Yep. Okay. The average consumer spends 13 minutes and 45 seconds reading reviews before making a decision. Grace, I cannot recall a website where users spend as much as 13 minutes reading content in. So really what this is telling us is that people are spending more time reading reviews than any kind of content that you may have on your website. Just kind of like to understand the dimension that reviews have in your strategy. Guys, visualize that. 13 minutes. 
How many times have you heard the six-second bumper ads? Yeah, exactly. Goldfish standard. Yeah, Mm. And and I mean, it goes to put into contrast all those uh, statements that say that attention span and all that stuff. Like when people are engaged and they're actually reading or listening or seeing, depending the type of reviews that they're being exposed to, um, other real people talk about uh, their experience, their real experience, you know, uh, without trying to to sell you a message, how how everything changes, how the attention span all from the sudden is not that limited and there's way more interest. It's mind-blowing, Grace. It really is. Let me give you the last one. Mm-hmm. Among consumers that read reviews, 97% read business responses to reviews. Grace, 97%. That means that they are not just re- reading the review, they're actually reading what the business has responded to. And, you know, it, it will be crazy, but actually there was another number that was saying that only 26% of businesses are actually responding to reviews, and that's mind-blowing. That's crazy. Because it's such a big opportunity that you have right there when your uh, prospect clients are the most engaged reading about your law firm to really be part of that message and be able to really showcase how is it that you uh, have those conversations with your existing clients, Grace. I mean, you have their attention for 13 minutes. For goodness sakes, respond. Exactly. (laughs) And that's exactly why we're making such a big uh, deal on review generation. And it's a critical part of any marketing strategy. Okay? So let me make this statement. Timely and effective management of your online reviews can be a strong tool for generating leads, period. Now, before we get into all of the good stuff about what are the best practices for review generation and things to avoid, we need to make a disclosure here, right? Yes, yes. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Disclaimer, disclaimer. We should actually get a little sound for it, like when a disclaimer comes up. Exactly. I like I like we have sound effects with grace. Okay, so um, th- the one thing here is that nothing we say in this podcast is going to override your third bar guidelines about review generation and review soliciting. That's right, guys. Please pay attention. Nothing we say in this podcast can be held against us. <laughs> it does not override your state bar. Seriously, um, you know, make sure you understand it. I know most of you are attorneys that are listening to this, but even those that are not attorneys or marketers, of course, you know, the ABA, the marketing handbook, you must adhere to your state bar regulations and about reviews and reviews, uh, soliciting of reviews. There are some states that allow it, some that don't. So just make sure you adhere to your state bar. Perfect, Grace. Thank you very much. And with all that being said and covered, I think now we can go into uh, all of the good stuff about review generation. So Grace, uh, Let's I have my first question for you. Okay. It's my turn, Leo. All right. <laughs> All right. I so like my questions. first question, and this is kind of an extensive one, right? Because there's so many different things that are involved in reviews. What are the different types of reviews? Okay. So, Grace, thank you very much. It's very, very important for us to uh, establish that because most of people's mind when they hear reviews, their mind goes right into 
Google My Business. Some people may think about Facebook and some people would think about uh, Avo or other uh, legal directory platforms. But the reality is that that's just part of the reviews. There's uh, really three main kinds of reviews that we should include in this conversation. And the first one is going to be first party reviews. Now, first party reviews are reviews that you are actually collecting out of your in own initiative and you are displaying them on your website, on your own platform. And the reason why first party reviews are important is because they give you an opportunity to diversify the type of reviews that you actually collect. Secondly, it allows you to have them on your website. And we will talk about why is it good to display your reviews on your website at a later point, because guess what? Google likes it. And so that's about first-party reviews. Now, So wait, quick question. So yeah. on first-party reviews, you're basically saying that's like in-house reviews in a way? Or like they're processing it from in-house? So basically these are reviews that you're not using, say you, a third-party platform to help you generate them. And they are not uh, hosted or listed somewhere else other than your actual website. I see. Right, so they're exclusive to you. And here's another great uh, advantage that first-party reviews have is that while, for instance, to leave a review on Google or on Facebook, you have to be a user of that platform, first-party review generations do not necessarily require for the user to have an email or a telephone number. Most of times, just their first name would be enough, sufficient, right? I see. And so that's why it's a very effective way of collecting reviews for when you may find challenges in getting people to share with you their email addresses or other ways that will, will have to be part of the review generating process, right? You cannot leave a Google My Business review if you don't have a Gmail account and that's how it is. Yes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm telling you, that's been a challenge for some of, our, of my clients because many Hispanics, they don't use email in general. They primarily deal everything with text messaging. And so... Or uh, WhatsApp. Yeah. And so for, for the attorneys to get them to leave Google My Business reviews, it's been sort of a challenge at times because their clients in the first place don't have Gmail account. And so that's something we're going to talk in another episode is to how to encourage at an earlier stage in the case management process for your clients to have uh, for you to have access to your clients via email and the right email uh, platform right but that's going to be a different conversation okay now moving back so we talked about first party reviews grace now what are then the third party review platforms that i've just mentioned like what would be third party review so, platforms. you know, from what you're saying and as, you know, from my understanding and to give you guys a little more clarification, a third-party review site or, or user reviews that are collected by third-party websites like Google, Facebook, Yelp, things like that. Correct? Yes, absolutely. So why do we separate the two? Can we explain it to them? Right. And again, uh, third-party reviews are strictly collected by another organization, another institution, right? And the whole purpose of having these third-party review platforms is because users can access them without um, necessarily being invited by you to leave a review. Got it. Whereas the first-party review generation will have to uh, have your involvement. Third-party platforms not. Like anyone, anyone, whether they're a client or not, 
mind you, can go to your Google My Business and leave you a review. And I know a lot of attorneys are frustrated with that. And there is a way to actually report reviews that are uh, not coming from uh, legitimate clients. Nevertheless, and I must say, it's a reality. Many times Google won't do anything about it. But that's why it's so important that you're on top of actually answering and responding to reviews so you can actually make the point that you want to make in that response. And so that's, I would say, the main differentiation between right. third-party reviews and first-party reviews. So what do, you, what do you consider the third type of review? Okay, so the third type of review is actually going to be um, testimonials. Right. Okay. And the reason why it's its own category is because many times testimonials can come uh, not necessarily via a form that you actually submitted to an existing client asking for feedback. It could be voluntarily. Somebody could actually just say, you know, I'd like to uh, share with you some comments. And then this can also come in different ways. They can be audio recordings. They can be videos. Right. And these are extremely powerful. Very, very powerful. Now, uh, testimonials and first-party review generation can go hand-in-hand. Hand. You can definitely use your first-party review platform to generate testimonials, but there's definitely also the likelihood that some uh, testimonials and feedback will come through uh, different ways where you can actually access this information. So testimonials are super powerful. Very, very, very powerful. And uh, again, these things should always be hosted in your website. You should, you should make sure whether you're collecting them or they're happening through a third party, there are ways that you can actually... Uh, Get it back to your pages. Yes, integrate uh, your reviews to your website in a way that it's going to be relevant for uh, the readers when they actually visiting your site. Cool. So now that we know what are the different kinds of review types, let's talk about soliciting reviews. Right, Grace? Mm-hmm. So... Um, Grace, can we actually solicit reviews? Can we, like, are we allowed to tell our clients, please, can you share with me some feedback on Google? So back to our disclaimer, right? State bar regulations in terms of soliciting. But even with that, there are very specific platforms that tell you what you can and can't do in terms of soliciting reviews. Google is one of them. They specifically say that reviews are only valuable when they are honest and unbiased, obviously, right? I mean, we all want real reviews because that's what we're trying to, you know, to give to yeah. our clients. And that's actually from the Google My Business help page. Like right. what you've just said is actually the Google policy. Pulled directly from their sites, guys. <laughs> so, for example, business owners shouldn't offer incentives to customers in exchange for reviews. And it's the same for most of the platforms except... Yelp. That's right, guys. Right. And so I think it's fair to say that uh, whether it's Facebook or it's Avo, uh, most platforms will be fine for law firms to ask for reviews as long as they're not trying to be selective as to who they're asking for reviews for, right? Yeah. Uh, however, Yelp's policy is that you should not ask or solicit reviews on Yelp as, in their opinion, it leads to deceptively biased content. And so what happens, Grace, is very simple. If Yelp is under the suspicion that you're requesting your clients to leave reviews for you, they will uh, suspend your account. It's as simple as that. And of course, with that goes all your reviews. 
So how can you generate reviews on a platform like Yelp? Well, I mean, Yelp will provide you with little stickers and things that will uh, allow you to... Um, Encourage people. Yes. Raise awareness that you are listed in Yelp and that people are leaving feedback about you on Yelp. However, you cannot really complete the action of literally asking for it. And so that's that's uh, uh, particular to Yelp, but any other platform, as long as you're doing it uh, what it's considered to be in an ethical way, you are allowed to do so, okay? Now, it is important that as we mentioned this, considering that Facebook is also a very powerful platform for where people go and research and read reviews, the reality is that the term reviews is no longer used by Facebook. Yep, they recently they Correct. This recently shifted to recommendations. So instead of uh, giving you a star rating, now it's just as simple as do you recommend yes or no? And then you're also invited to attach tags uh, about different things, right? Friendly stuff and so forth and so on. And so that's what's Facebook approach towards uh, reviews and comments on, f on businesses is all about moving forward. So no longer star rating, it's a yes or a no, okay? Now, with that being said, Grace, let's now talk about another very hot topic, which is can we incentivize for review generation? So that goes back to our disclaimer again, uh, fortunately or for unfortunately, however you look at it, you can incentivize for reviews depending on your state, but you do want to incentivize your team. Absolutely. What does that mean? So let me give you a little story, I guess, um, a mini blurb. A Pennsylvania law firm had to settle a lawsuit because it was discovered that they were soliciting positive online reviews from people who had never used a law firm service like employees, friends, and family. Super important, guys. Pay attention to that. You were, remember, honest, unbiased, truly that were clients or worked with you, that had an experience with your firm. So that leads us to the next part, right? Yeah. So, yeah, actually, Grace, what you've just mentioned happened last summer. And I, I guess it goes uh, to the point that you're making, like, do incentivize your employees to request for reviews, but incentivize them to generate authentic reviews and set up policies as to whom are they supposed to be asking reviews from because what apparently this law firm did is that they kind of created this competition where they incentivized it the room just went dark on us right now <laughs> so we're looking at each other but that's fine that's fine we can continue with the recording um my point great here is that they they wanted it to encourage their teams to feel empowered about asking reviews. However, because they potentially did not set up the right parameters as to who they should be asking for reviews, the employees just took it as to, you know what, it doesn't really matter. As many reviews, the better. And then just went on and started asking friends, family members to write reviews, positive reviews on the law firm, just to generate more reviews and to be able to, you know, win whatever was the reward that the law firm was offering. And, you know, from every single angle, that's bad. But who's the ultimate, who has the ultimate responsibility on this is the law firm. And so that's why it's so important that you actually set up a policy as to how are you going to 
uh, request for reviews, who's going to be doing it and what's going to be considered a suitable candidate for our review, right? And while these things may sound so obvious until you don't have them in paper, until you don't have them integrated to a job description, you know, you cannot make assumptions. That's right. Cannot make assumptions. Right. Now, with that being said, Apparently, Grace, and I'm telling you because I cannot attest for this, it looks like, for instance, the state of New York will allow you to incentivize uh, the actual clients to leave you a review by, for instance, offering them a credit or a discount on their final service fees that they're going to be paying you, right? But here's the thing. You cannot be selective as to whom you're offering this deal this incentive it has to be across the board to anyone whether they're leaving you a good or a bad review and so again it goes back to the same principle that google uh, is telling us that we should consider when soliciting reviews not trying to eliminate the bad ones the bad ones yeah Okay, but yeah, very interesting. And we're actually going to add a link on our uh, episode notes because this comes directly from the State Bar. So uh, for those in New York, yeah, you can. You want to incentivize your clients, apparently, check out. Grace, there is this concept. It's called review gating. Okay. Yes. Can you explain what does review gating is for our audience, for those who are listening about review gating for the first time? So review gating is, generally speaking, when you have it's usually a third party that you're using that will stop any bad reviews essentially from coming through and hitting any of the websites that we've mentioned. And, um, you know, the question is to review gate or not to review gate. Grace, I think, you know, everything that we've said prior to this uh, question really kind of makes the, the answer even more obvious, obvious, right? Don't review gate. That's right. And, and the reason why you need to be so aware that review gating is not a good practice is because um, several platforms that uh, offer review generation or review management tools will make it, leave it up to your choice, to the law firm's choice, to the client choice to decide whether they want to review gate or not. And so initially people might be tempted and say, yeah, of course, like if I can make sure that all of the bad reviews get to a different inbox, we're not sending them to Google My Business or Facebook to transition into actual reviews on these platforms. You need to know that it's it's not a practice that is encouraged by any platform. And as a matter of fact, Google will penalize you by suspending potentially your Google My Business and deleting your reviews. And so I've seen it happen. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that happen. I must say I've seen that happen. Loads and loads of yeah. good reviews just completely deleted because yeah. they found out that they either didn't didn't allow certain reviews to come through or like you said, review gated. Yeah. And so it's something that, you know, as tempting as it may seem to you, it's just not considered a good practice. And I guess when we start talking a little bit more about uh, negative reviews, you see People now, even those who are reading the reviews, uh, understand that not everyone who's actually leaving a review is an unbiased person. 
and that they're obviously gonna have very particular circumstances and that what happened to them may not necessarily be what will happen to them. They're gonna be probably more interested in seeing how the law firm dealt with it. Exactly. Uh, as opposed to anything else. And so review gating really is not uh it's it's it's, it's not beneficial. It's not really beneficial and there is actually value in in being able to to showcase how do you deal with adversity. And we've mentioned this before in um other episodes. Um, now let's move on into um, talking about then. Okay, if we're not going to review gate and we're going to allow t- for all reviews to go to come through, what happens then, Grace, when a bad review comes? Respond, respond, respond. How? Right? How do you respond? Exactly. Are we like just? Let me give you a scenario. I've just got a review, a review from someone who I've never met. They're not a client at the law firm, okay? And they're complaining that we're not friendly and that we don't want to help and that, you know, whatever. Should I, should I just go off on this person and get all upset and potentially call him names? Most definitely not. So I okay. actually was going to say that exact story. So thank you for taking that out of my mouth. Um, that's exactly what happened to one of the law firms I've worked with before. They, someone that never been a client, posted a review saying that they were rude, they didn't want to take their case, this, that, the other. Unfortunately, the truth was they did not. They they were actually quite nice. They had the recording of the review. I'm sorry, a recording of the that specific uh, prospect or the person that called them. Um, we listened to it. We saw that there was nothing you know wrong with what they had done. They just weren't able to take the case or help them because those weren't the types of cases that they would normally take. And so they responded, and they, it's how they responded. They said, you know, we're sorry that you feel that way. You know, if if there's any way that we can help you in the future, we're here for you. However, we were unable to take your case because of X, Y, Z. And, you know, I found that a lot of people read that response to that negative review and actually said they called because of the response to the negative review and how they handled a non-client. And, you know, in, in theory, they're allowed to report that to Google. And they, they did try to as well, but they still took the time to respond as quickly as possible because that's a benefit to you as a firm to show in turn what the reality is, right? You can't take every case. It doesn't make sense for you to do that in general. And some cases you just can't take to do the best for your client, right, or your potential client. You know, Grace... It's, I really like the part that you said that people actually called you because they read that review. I mean, it goes back to our initial, uh, uh, the stats that we shared about how much people are spending time reading reviews and so forth and so on. But um, w- let's also remember that most platforms allow you in a way or another to like a review or not. As a user, when you're reading, you can either rate it by saying, did you find this useful? Or uh, you can give it a thumbs up. And so people actually interact with this as well. And you should, and it's very, very valuable to know that and understand how your reviews are influencing the decision-making process of uh, your prospect clients in deciding hiring you as, uh, as, as their law firm. So it, what a great example. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. So, Grace, um, we've covered how to handle bad reviews. We covered how to respond to those bad reviews. Now, Grace, let's suppose that I'm 
a law firm that has 150 reviews, right? And guess what? I have a nice round 4.8 total score. Most of our, my reviews are five stars. And people are actually commenting that uh, they're very satisfied with the results that they gain. But consistently, that's the only comment that I get. They're satisfied with the results. Should I be concerned or should I just think that I'm a rock star because I have such good reviews? So you know how I like to take it back to other businesses and other companies and that type of thing because, you know, reviews are, are all-encompassing in any industry, right? And so to answer your question, you should be slightly concerned. Why? Because you want real information as to the client experience in the review. So are you possibly asking for the review at the, you know, at the end or at the wrong time? Is there a time that you could ask for it maybe earlier in the process that makes sense so that they can explain what their experience was even at the very beginning? You know, I know we've talked about before about when do you ask for reviews and at what point in time. And I know that everybody has a different idea as to when you should. And a lot of them are like, okay, at the paycheck point, right? When they get that money, that's when you ask for the review because you're giving them money. And of course, they're going to be happy and they're going to give you a good review, generally speaking, right? Especially if they're happy with you. However, what about the intake? Isn't that something we talked about over and over? The empathy required, you know, and we do include a process where sometimes at the very end, if you feel like you've been extra helpful to somebody and you feel like they came away with at least something from the conversation, the intake person has the authority to ask for a review at that point. Grace, uh, this is like so loaded of valuable information, what you're just saying here. And so I think uh, this is the right time to bring up another huge component that ties very well to reviews that we haven't talked about. And these are service, right? You need to survey your client several times throughout their experience. It's not just about the end Google review that you're going to get. You want to know that their entire client experience was a positive one. And if it wasn't, well, then you want to know why and when. And so to find ways that you can improve it. Because at the end of the day, even if you're getting great results, you're actually not necessarily delivering the best experience. And the way that your business is going to grow exponentially is when you're actually doing both. Delivering a great experience and getting the desired results. Doing only the great results alone may not work. As a matter of fact, if you deliver a great experience, but then the results are not necessarily the ones that were expected or anticipated at the beginning, you may still get a good review. Exactly. Why? Because there was trust, an interest, an appreciation that made the client feel taken care of throughout the process. And that's what's really making them and leaving them with a positive impression, not just the results. You're providing value throughout the process, not just at the end. You know, some of these things take two years, you know. So wh what, it's, what is the client experience in the in-between from day one to the day when they get the, you know, the actual check? So they, they need to know that you're going to hold their hand and help them through this extremely tough time. So it's super important that you have reviews and request reviews if, you know, at the most appropriate time, of course. But 
early on in the process. Like you yep. said, make checks, check it in you know, yep. each time along Ab the process. Absolutely. So uh, reviews should not replace client feedback service. Those should be coming through uh, frequently and you should make sure that you're checking up on your client satisfaction levels throughout the whole process and not just at the end when uh, the case uh, is being settled. settled. Correct. Yeah. Now, with that, because um, service, first-party review generation, they're kind of, again, tying back together. Um, Grace, let me just make a point as to why is it important uh, to collect the first-party review generation. So I did mention the diversity of it, right? That's an important factor for local search. Google doesn't just want you to have reviews on Google My Business. They're going to look at where else do you have reviews and what are people saying about you in those sort of reviews. So Google takes that into consideration. And the fact is that you actually get reviews in other sites, including you collecting your own reviews. That's super valuable. And let me tell you something. And that's not, important, guys. Please pay attention to this. Not a lot of people are doing it. Now, here's the other upside of it. Okay, up until recently, you could add plugins to your website that will allow you to pull in reviews from all kinds of different platforms and kind of uh, mark them up using schema to show them as star ratings under your organic listings. But now Google says, wait a minute, you cannot pick and choose which reviews you want to show. These need to be authentic reviews that are not getting filtered and so forth and so on. And so first-party review generation allows you very nicely to prove Google that you're not being selective about it, that you're collecting reviews in an ethical manner and that they're actually your own reviews and that's why you're putting them on your website and such. So with the right plugin, you can actually get to show star rating under your listing in the search results page, which is, you know, a powerful message and increased click-through rate. Okay, so uh, here are a few things about doing that and how to do it right. Okay, use the right plugin that has schema markup so Google can understand that. That's, you know, a basic. But here's another thing. Avoid trying to put ratings on every page of your site because then Google will say, hey, 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 what are you trying right. to do? Are you trying to Overload play the system? Yeah. Correctly, right? So you should also put the right reviews in the right practice page, right? So with his personal injury, personal injury page, workers' compensation, workers' compensation page, it has to fit and match what the review is about to the service that you're providing. Kind of right? goes to the personalization. Correct. It needs to be relevant for the user. It's all about the user experience. And make sure that you're not marking up your home page, your main page that is general uh, with reviews because that can also get you a penalty, which will then get you uh, potentially uh, a webmaster tools warning and the worst case scenario, even a ranking penalty. We don't want none of that, Grace. All right, guys. So that leads us right to the next thing, right? We've been talking about rep um, reputation management, essentially, uh, star reviews and how to get it on your site. So the next thing is, how do you select reputation management software? And what is the first question you should ask when you're looking at different types of software? Does the tool help you increase the number of reviews? That is number one. Right, Leo? Absolutely, Grace. And so I agree. I think the first thing that you need to make sure that your platform is going to enable you to is to streamline the process of asking for reviews and make it easy, not just for you, but for the actual client 
to complete the review process, right? And so with that being said, Grace, what do you think should be the option number one method for requesting reviews? So everybody, listen to this, text messages, right? I mean, think about it. Emails are a little bit overloaded. You're you know, this or that might be overloaded, but what do you really turn around and kind of pay attention to? A text message. Absolutely, Grace. I think, you know, when you think about it, like people for their daily lives, for their personal lives, like why do they need to use an email? Like who are, we're so used to thinking that email is such a common thing, right? But when you think about it in your personal life, what do you use the email for? Most of times just to get marketed stuff for people or places or restaurants that you've visited that they now have your email address and they're just sending you stuff. But it's not really a platform that you're using it, that you're using to communicate that much, right? Right. And so if you want people to acknowledge your request, you're better off putting it through a platform and device that they're actually paying attention to. And their mobile devices is definitely uh, the best option. And text messages is just, makes you stand out what do you think a hundred percent i mean you know you need to like you said i can't put it any clearer than that you have to make it easy for them and how is it easy for them communicating in the method that they choose generally speaking your mobile device what are you going to send an email and hope that they're going to respond to you at some point i mean i think about even my own personal email address when you were talking about it leo because I want to throw it out the window half the time. I'm like, there's so much junk, so much spam, so many things that I've subscribed to or not subscribed to, and I'm still getting these emails. I just don't want to pay attention. But I get a compro caros, you know, buy junk cars text message. I look at it. <laughs> yeah, if, even though you're not interested. I don't want to, but I see it. And be, you're open. But how, you would have never, you know what? If that would have gone to your email, it would have probably ended up on the spam. Folder, it would have right? ended up in the spam. But because it was in my text message, I actually looked at it. I even opened it to see who was selling, you know, buying junk cars. <laughs> exactly. So I, I don't think it needs more explanation no. as to why is it important and more convenient to generate reviews through text message. So that's a given. Make sure that if you're, hiring a platform that it allows you to do this through text message in an easy way. Now, what other things should we keep in mind, Grace? So, you know, of course, as part of the text message generation, you, you need to follow up and follow up, right? But there's also the component of there are multiple review sites, right? So does the tool help you track your reviews across these multiple sites? And does it give you a dashboard? To me, those go kind of hand in hand that you're able to track it across all these multiple sites. How would you do that? Through a dashboard, no? Absolutely, Grace. You know, the beauty about having a platform that allows you to send text messages without actually having to use a cell phone is that it also tells you whether it got delivered, opened, and clicked on. And so when you have this information, you know how to follow up. And you can also keep track as to how many requests have been completed and how many have not yet. It doesn't mean that you cannot use a cell phone to send a text message request to your clients. You can still do that. You're just going to have uh, to follow up manually as to whether you're getting those reviews uh, on the platforms that you're requesting them for. And so this just makes the process way more easier and lets you monitor and lets you stay on top of things. Furthermore, you can even automate reminders, right? 
and therefore freeing up more of your time while at the same time keeping yourself on schedule of getting those reviews generated with priority. What do you think? A hundred percent. I mean, the whole point of why you're implementing a system, a policy, a procedure for getting these reviews to begin with, how you got to track it, right? I mean, it's, it's all well and good to implement you know, key performance indicators and metrics, but if you're not tracking or actually looking at all these different metrics or have a place to actually do that, it's, it's irrelevant, right? Absolutely. And so what you're saying here, that's another great thing that the platform should enable you to do is um, be able to pull out reports as to how many reviews you're generating, but not just that, at the same time, set up benchmark goals for yourself right? What's your desired uh, star rating that you want to have and how you are doing in terms of that? That's right. I mean, it goes back to what we said from the very beginning. Um, anything under a 4.0 is considered uh, essentially will not come up on best on Google. So you better make sure that you have a place that can track all your online reviews, that you have your goals set up, you know what you're looking for. And you know, I mean, honestly, that really leads into our kind of next big section, right? It's reporting and goal setting. You know, I mean, we talk about constantly policies and procedures. And so part of that is implementing the metrics that you want to be looking for that make sense and a way to actually follow those metrics. Absolutely. And there's actually some tools that will give you guidelines as to for your industry in your vertical what is considered to be the average review and it will help you um, measure yourself against that and even competitors so it's very powerful that's right it's our industry benchmarks guys i mean for every industry so i know you know a lot of us like to think that our industry is a little bit unique um, every industry is of course yes it is unique but there are certain benchmarks that you can measure yourself against and those are industry benchmarks Absolutely. Now, we make such a big deal about responding to reviews, good ones and bad ones. But you need to know when a review actually hits your uh, platform and so notifications. That's right. So as you're saying, that means the reputation management software has to notify you about events like a new review being published. And even notifications can occur like within the program itself or by sending you a text or email. And even the system that we use, the Jacobino Link, it notifies us on our desktop. We have desktop notifications that pop up. Um, you know, of course, I had to allow it, but it tells me exactly when something hits, uh, where it is, where it came from, and, you know, certain things like that that allow me to respond in a timely fashion. Now, I'll tell you what, Grace, what would be also wonderful is for the platform to also allow you to respond from within the platform without having to go to the actual directory, whether it's Google My Business or it's Facebook or any other place to actually post the response, right? Because that takes time. And when you have that all consolidated into one single dashboard, it makes it way more easier for you to be able to follow up on those reviews and get those responses out very quickly. Now, let me tell you about something super, super cool that exists nowadays, and some platforms are offering it, okay? So, What's that? so much background noise, guys. At this point, Grace and I have moved to the actual hallway. They're preparing uh, and doing setup for the last day of the, of the conference, and so we apologize for the sound quality. My voice is just about to really go. He lost it from last night, guys. <laughs> and so um, we, yeah, there's there's a little bit of uh, hiccups, but you know we what? hope. But this is the fun of doing yeah. it at 
the conference. Yeah. It's okay. And we hope that the that the actual content is is worth its while, right? So Grace, what I was going to say is that um, some platforms will now give you a sentiment analysis on the actual review. So using AI, it will identify which words are being used. So correlate that to what emotions are triggered. And you will be able to then identify the overall uh, sentiment that exists amongst your satisfied customers, your unsatisfied customers, and what are the points that are making them feel good or bad about certain things and actually dissect the review and pull out because the review might be five stars, but they still may have a comment somewhere written there that uh, they were just disappointed that uh, it took uh, more than two days to get callbacks. Right. And so it will actually dissect that part and create a metric for it and for how many times these comments are reoccurring. So you can also have a sense of awareness. As, as, as we were saying before, you cannot just look at the star rating and measure yourself against that star rating. It's about the content in the comments and that needs to be acknowledged. And some tools will allow you to do that. I mean, that goes right back to 13 minutes of reading the review, right? <laughs> Right back at it. All right. Yep. People care more about the comments than the actual star rating. Grace. And I think uh, last but not least, it's going to be the integration, right? Oh, gosh. If you yeah. can integrate that to your case management software or if you can integrate that to your CRM, oh, my God, that makes life so much easier, right? We always talk about automation, guys, and it's key. Integration is key in automating. You know, if you have silos of information, how are you going to get them to speak to each other? How are you going to get this on your website? How are you going to get this into your CRM? How are you going to make sure that you're that person that is providing you this wonderful review is constantly part of your life cycle marketing campaign that you keep nurturing them, you keep them happy by seeing what they give you, you know, even at the negative sentiments, yeah. right? Like exactly. you're saying, take care of them yeah. too. And Why are yeah. they unhappy? And, and, and with that also comes the good stuff, right? Yes. Friendly stuff. Like how many times is that being mentioned? And that should, you should actually uh, measure that and, and see how many times names are being mentioned and utilized and recognize those who are doing a great uh, job within your firm. I mean, feedback is so much more powerful than just how it can help you acquire more business. It could actually help you so much at improving your client experience and incentivizing your team and really, really addressing opportunities that are holding you back. And I think it's really important to note that, you know, as we've talked about in a couple of other episodes, there are other, you know, motivating uh, reasons or incentives, right? That people don't always want money. They don't always want this or that. A simple, kind word to the person that took care of your client, your own staff, if you just tell them you did such a great job, these people are so happy over and over, they've given reviews about our friendly staff and how wonderful you are. I just want to take the time to appreciate you and let you know. Just the socializing the review internally and make sure that everybody is aware that uh, a member of your team has been acknowledged for their efforts and interest and care. That's right. And as you said, like to think that you always have to uh, reward with money is, uh, is a mistake. That's right. Grace, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it, but I think we've made it to the point where we go through the takeaways. We're at the end? Nice. Yes, we're at the end. I think we covered it all. I'm, I don't know. I mean, do you think we left something out? 
I don't think so. You know, I, I like to always bring things back to another industry and sort of my own experience, right? Because I've been in marketing for a long time, but as a consumer of products and a consumer myself, if we want to know what the first thing I do when I see reviews, I go directly to the first five star and then I go right to the first one star and I read both. And I see in between. If I think that they have more one stars, obviously I'm not going there because it's not going to be below 4.0. And that's 100% right. If it's below 4.0, I'm going to probably, actually, I'm definitely not going. Next. Yeah. Yep. Next. There's so many choices in this world. Why would I go with anything below a four star? Absolutely. Great. Well, so we're on the same page. So let's, let's do our takeaways. What's the first one, Grace? So back to citation, 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 and citation management. What does that mean? If you don't know by now, we will tell you again. It's claiming your business, updating your business profile, and monitoring it. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to be able to generate reviews because, as we've said, third-party platforms do not require your authorization or any of your import whatsoever for generating reviews on your business. However, you, you want to make sure that you're claiming this direct, uh, your listings in these directories, number one, so you can respond to reviews. Number two, so you can optimize the listing and make sure that all the information that's actually displayed in there is consistent with the message and branding of your law firm. That's right. Because otherwise, all of those wonderful benefits that we've mentioned about the power that reviews have are not going to have an impact in you and you're not going to be able to leverage. And I mean, going back to the numbers, like high percentage numbers of people are basically making decisions as to who are they going to buy from, who are they going to hire based on reviews, solely reviews. So you cannot ignore that. That's right. So that kind of leads us to our next takeaway. Um, set up a system and policy for your law firm's review generation. Make it a part of the job description of your team. That goes hand in hand. Grace, I mean, I think there's nothing less powerful than just coming to your team and say, hey, we're going to start generating reviews. That tells nothing. It's unorganized. You're not going to achieve anything. There needs to be a system. There needs to be a policy. There needs to be a policy for your employee. There needs to be a policy for your clients as well. Your clients need to understand how are you collecting reviews and what are you doing with those reviews, right? And you need to make sure that there is accountability. Here's the point. If you don't seem to care about it that much to actually take the effort of making it part of your employee's job description and creating responsibilities and tasks and standards of operations for it, that's right. then your staff is not going to care. Because if you don't care enough, why should they? That's right. I mean, that's such an important point. I, I don't think we can make that any stronger. I, if it's not important to you, why would it be important to them? Frankly. And, and, and that's basically for everything, everything, right? And review generation is not an exemption. It's the lifeblood of your business. We have gone over and over how many times that, I mean, especially just now, 13 minutes of reading, like that's the most held hostage content there is. It's the lifeblood of your business. If you don't do it, you're basically, you, you will be going nowhere. Agreed, Grace. So um, next point. All right. So that brings us to, you know, use a platform to collect reviews or set up an internal process by creating a short URL and sending it by text messages. You know what, Grace? I've met over the past few months law firms who have been literally doing it manually, like sending text messages from a cell phone 
and really getting amazing results in review generation. So to think that you have to have a software to do so is kind of a mistake. You don't. But the reality is that there is great solutions out there that will make things much easier, will allow you to streamline the process and reduce the amount of uh, opportunities that could be along the, the way of letting the review request fall to the cracks. So with that being said, I think you need to do your own risk analysis and do a chart of what are the benefits against the cost and come to your own conclusion. Because let's be honest, some of these platforms, well, they do cost a few hundred dollars per month. Mm -hmm. And so you have to decide what's whether it's uh, worth your while or not, uh, how much time it's going to free from one of your employees and, you know, just run numbers based on that. But the reality is that whether you're doing it through a platform or whether you're doing it manually in-house, you have to have a system and a procedure in place. There's like That's the one thing that's not going to change. And I think that's key in everything that we've ever spoken about <laughs> in marketing. System, policy, procedure in place for everything you do. So I think that brings us to our next point. You must respond to all reviews and respond in a personal manner. Be as personal as you need to be to make them feel at ease and that you're answering their concern and or question and or even the positive response. Yeah, I, I, really, I really hope that uh, what I'm about to say is really unnecessary, but I think some people still think that giving a like to the reviews that they are getting from their clients, like just liking it is enough. And that counts as a response. Oh my gosh, you're kidding, right? Like I've seen it. Wow. Oh, I, every day. Wow. And it doesn't count as a response. No. A personal response is a is a is a response that you're actually writing it, thinking particularly about your client. How was your experience dealing with them, and trying to make a per, a comment that actually ties to them as an individual and that acknowledges them as an individual, right? Of course, this is something that the entire world can see. So be mindful about it. Right. Don't comment on something that is private or that not other people should know about. But you no can still make it personalized. Specific yes. information about Absolutely. the case and or anything which you all know, but. Maybe that's part of your policy and procedure, right? And how you respond. Grace, that's exactly what I'm saying. Your standard of operation for review should go all the way to how do you respond? What are the timelines? What are the timelines? Because guess what? Like if you're setting up a timeline that you're going to respond to all reviews within a day and reviews are not getting responded within a day, then somebody's going to have to be called to a meeting accountability accountability it's just it's that's the way that's right that's the way you cannot let these things slip and slide not with the impact and the important role that they pay within your marketing strategies as simple as that i tell people all the time reviews are the lifeblood of a business it affects everybody's bottom line including your own right if i'm not around tomorrow and i'm showing that i care about reviews and you in turn don't guess what the firm could close Right. I mean, I've seen it happen where, you know, they just don't have any reviews. They don't exist anywhere. They didn't claim their listing or their page. So now they have to go somewhere else. Well, that's terrible, but it can happen. So just make sure you put all these things in place that we're talking about, because that's what this is about. Right. It's about a no BS conversation and letting you know what should be done. But people don't necessarily talk about. Absolutely. And again, um, I think the last one, Grace, is user experience. Use your reviews 
to better describe your services in your website. That's like, right. Integrate your reviews, the, re the reviews that have to do with your particular practice areas in your website so that users don't have to go outside of your website to read reviews. Like, I mean, it's what we were talking about. The, the fact that they don't have to leave and that they can find all of the information in one place on your website just lends for a better user experience. And that's why we do things, right? Yes, we do care of what Google thinks about us. We want to make sure that we're playing by the rules and that we're doing everything we can to favor our rankings. But at the end of the day, we're also doing it because we want to provide our prospect clients with a good with client value. experience. And that's good client experience, yeah. not having to have five tabs open just to get information of your law firm. They right. Can find it all in one place. Yeah. And it's by practice area. So it's funny because Liel and I were actually talking about this earlier before we even started the podcast, how, you know, they, they Google is now starting to give you this option to um, put, go to directly to the product. So let's say you buy a shoe and I want a review on that specific shoe. I'm not going to go to your homepage and, you know, read reviews about you as a company. I want to know about that specific shoe. Absolutely. I think you're touching on a good point. Um, shopping, they've been doing this forever. Like reviews are product-based. The same should be for law firms. And so very good point that you're bringing there, uh, Grace. It's a, it's a great kind of like example as to what is it that we should be aiming for when it comes down to uh, generating reviews based on our practice area. Great. Yep. So you guys need to just, you know, think about these things, correlate them because, you know, certain things that work across every industry work across every industry for a reason. You know, people want to know about you and how you can handle my car accident. Uh, if you can handle my slip and fall, can you handle my premise liability? Can you handle my social security claim? Can you handle this? I want to know specifically, can you handle this? Not Oh, you're a great law firm because everybody says so. Yes, it will always be much more relevant for you to be able to read comments that are actually relevant to the same needs that you have. So, Grace, those are our takeaways. And with that said, we're coming to the end of the final episode on our 2020 Toolkit for Success for your law firm. And so with that, I say we must ask for our listeners. This is the time that we want to hear your feedback whether this toolkit was useful for you, what have you implemented, what are you struggling implementing, and what else would you like to hear us talk about? Needless to say, however, we're going to come back next week with a new conversation, with a new topic, and I hope that you continue to listen because we're just getting started. So start sending in your submissions, guys. We're here for you. Let us know what you want and what you want us to answer. All right, Grace. So with that, we say goodbye from the AAJ Winter Convention in New Orleans. And we'll talk to you next week with another private legal marketing conversation at Incamera Podcast. Bye-bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.